Welcome back to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. The show is sponsored by QM Travels, run by Quincy and Mitchell, a delightful couple who host sailing adventures aboard Esprit, their well-designed, well-kept Peterson 46. QM Travels provides an exceptional charter experience. Quincy and Mitchell are both skilled sailors, and Mitchell's a certified sailing instructor with years of experience teaching at various schools, including OCSC in the East Bay. Quincy is a certified nutritionist who provides holistic, healthy meals, and she'll cater to any dietary restriction you might have. Sail with QM Travels for a day, a weekend, or an offshore passage, and you won't be disappointed. They'll be in the Bay until September, then they're headed to Southern California and Mexico, also this spring. They're offering sailing adventures in the Caribbean, and in June, they're sailing in the Line Islands of the Pacific on a 72-footer, and they want you to join them. Listen to the interview I did with them on episode 13 of Out the Gate. Check out their schedule at qmtravels.com or follow them directly on Instagram at qmtravels. If you heard last week's show, you already know that before setting off across the Pacific in her Sabre 34 Winfola, Ilana Connor overcame a number of challenges growing up in the foster care system. But she's gone far, literally and figuratively, and in the second half of the interview I did with her, we cover in more detail her solo passages across the Pacific. We discuss the challenges she's faced and the lessons she's learned along the way. We start by talking about her most recent 18-day passage from the Cook Islands to New Zealand. Here we go. You had a pretty eventful trip. Many things. <laughs> I, mean, I understand you were becalmed. You lost your satellite communication not long into the trip. Tell us about the passage. The passage from the Cook Islands to New Zealand. And that was the last 18 days I was at sea before I arrived to New Zealand. It was a pretty tumultuous leg. I, I think because we had already been sailing across the Pacific for six months at that point, I had been repairing things along the way, but sort of postponing some other things that were larger maintenance projects and thinking, oh, I'll have five months in New Zealand. I'll, I'll do some of those when I get there. So I was really tired. <laughs> I think my boat was really tired. That meant that those last 18 days were, were pretty challenging. My Iridium Go, the charger connection inside the Iridium Go, where the micro USB cable plugs in to charge it, snapped off and it wasn't charging, and I didn't realize that. So had I known, I would have turned it off and tried to conserve the battery, but oh. because uh, <laughs> because I didn't notice until I was in the middle of a weather download and the weather download stopped, <laughs> that's oh, when I geez. realized my Iridium Go was dead. After that, I couldn't download weather, and it was only five days into the passage, and having access to weather data and forecasting is really critical as you near New Zealand because of the cycle of fronts that pass across northern New Zealand. I was quite nervous about making the approach without access to weather data. How did that change then, how you made the approach? Well, I feel very lucky, and this is another argument for redundancy. I have an, I guess it's a Garmin now, but it was before called the Delorme inReach. And on an inReach, you can text 160 character messages. So I texted with some friends back home, and one of my good friends 
is a weather nerd and has some experience with sailing, so he understands sailing angles. I just contacted him and said, you know, look, can you help me understand what's ahead of me as I approach New Zealand? And then that way I can make a decision whether or not to heave to farther north and wait for a front to pass and then ride the backside of it down to New Zealand. Or if the fronts are timed just right, or if they're not too not too nasty, you know, I can I can come through and continuously sail. So my friend texted me forecasts as I neared New Zealand. That helped me make decisions about my approach. What would you say were the biggest learning experiences in your time, both sailing <laughs> to Hawaii and then back and sailing down to New Zealand? Because... Um, the number of, of hours that you'd actually spent sailing was pretty minimal before you set out to sea by yourself. Yeah, it was. On the passage to Hawaii, I think the biggest learning was just that I could do this, that I loved sailing and that if I just took a breath when I was scared or nervous and didn't know what to do, I closed my eyes and thought about what I knew already, that the answer was in there. I think when you're racing with a crew or especially for women when you're sailing with men, and I've heard this from another female skipper I know who solo sailed to Hawaii, something happens when you get on a boat with other people where suddenly you you don't speak up and you doubt yourself and you defer to other people's judgments or experience, especially men. I think that's something that can change around us, but I also think that's something we have to change inside as well and just be more confident in our own in our own voice and in our own skills. So that was really a big learning on the way to Hawaii. Um, I have to stop you just for a second. I want to get to the other learning as well. But yeah. I want to ask, because you say it's realizing you can do this, but there was something in you before. There must have been some voice that said, I, I can do this. You don't buy a boat and, and set off in the first place <laughs> on your own. What do you think set you apart that allowed you to actually take that step? Well, like all single-handers, I'm a little bit crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that always helps. <laughs> you know, I'm not really sure. I think I think part of it was my that race community that I had um, out of South Beach and the, the, the crew that I raced with. They, they told me I could do it. You know, they told me I was ready. They believed in me. And that made such a big difference because so many of them were really experienced sailors. And I felt so, so inexperienced in comparison to them. There was another solo Transpac veteran on my boat as well, George McKay. He single-handed his Moore 24 to Hawaii as well. And so when you have a couple of experienced single-handed ocean racers telling you you can do this, it really makes a big difference. I think that helped a lot. And I also think I just had reached this sort of breaking point. I had been sick. I hadn't been able to do the things I loved. I had like a tumultuous relationship with a boyfriend at the time that wasn't really working out. And I really didn't want to work behind a desk anymore. And I just felt like my heart has been called to do a different kind of work to reach people for a long time. It was almost like I couldn't survive if I didn't do it. Yeah. I don't know if that makes any sense, but... No, it makes complete sense, but it's what doesn't... I think it makes sense to a lot of people, and a lot of people also really admire that because they say, I would like to be able to make that choice, but can't. And you can, and you can. Yeah. Yeah. So I interrupted you before. You were going to talk about a second learning that you had. Oh, well, I guess there were two other major learnings on the passage to Hawaii 
on the passage to Hawaii, there was a hurricane that looked like it was going to arrive to Hilo at the same time as me. And obviously, I didn't want to be anywhere near that hurricane. And I was worried that it would curve up because forecasts are always pretty questionable about, about hurricanes. So I stayed pretty far north. I came down like you typically would to about the latitude of, of L.A. or just south of L.A. and started to curve over towards Hawaii. It didn't quite come as far south as you normally would. And I just sort of stayed along. I think I was at like 25 north. And I sort of stayed along that and watched how this hurricane was developing. It was pretty clear that we were just going to be too close to one another. So I hoped to for six days and waited for it to pass. That was a big lesson in, in many ways. One is that you should know how to heave to with your boat <laughs> and, uh, you, and you should practice it. And it changes depending on what the conditions are. So when the winds come up and the seas are larger, sometimes your boat needs you to slightly tweak how you how you keep it hove to so that it doesn't foreach. So I learned a lot about that. I also learned that it's really a mental game to stick through moments like that. When I wasn't sailing... That was the hardest portion of the trip mentally. It was much harder than when I was sailing. And I think that's a more general life lesson and, and internal lesson I've learned. And, and I keep learning throughout all my sailing trips is sometimes stillness and inaction are the right actions. We are so uncomfortable with stillness and inaction in our modern day lives that it is very difficult to force yourself to just deal with being still and knowing that there's no other action you can take at that moment, that you just have to have to be where you are and wait it out. Those six days were mentally pretty agonizing. <laughs> there was actually one day I got so frustrated I just couldn't take the stillness anymore that I started sailing <laughs> <laughs> um, just a little bit further north uh, just to make sure I was more out of the way of the hurricane or that's how I justified it to myself and then I, I stopped and I hoped to again because I, I didn't want to sail away from my destination and, and that also felt awful and that's another thing I've had to to deal with over the course of all of my passages including my most recent one to New Zealand sometimes you find yourself pointed away from your destination and there is nothing you can do about it you could heave to and try to stop but, but yeah. sometimes you just have to sail away from your destination, you know, and then wait for the opportunity to point straight towards it again. So. Both great metaphors. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, sailing, some people jokingly, you know, wear T-shirts that say sailing is life. And I think in some ways sailing, sailing is life, but not just in a hobby sort of way or I like to spend all my time sailing, but in a deeper way, in a more metaphorical way. Sailing can teach you a lot about life. It's interesting how you said you've you felt more alive. You felt more yourself since you've been off. Yeah, I do. Okay, so on the passage from California to Hawaii, one of the most remarkable things was that all these little aches and pains or like stomach dysfunctions that I had just been living with for a few years and thinking, oh, okay, this is just what it means to leave your 20s. Your body just hurts in some places and, you know, maybe your stomach doesn't process quite right. All of those things went away completely on that passage. I felt as good as I did at like 20 physically. And that's actually been true ever since then. That when I'm living this life, when I'm sailing, when I'm living on the boat, when I'm living a, a more simple 
life like this and, and when I'm not landbound for too long, my body just feels so much healthier. And when your body feels healthier, I think it's easier for your mind to be healthier. And when your mind is healthier, it's easier for your body to feel healthier. At the same time, I think there's a misconception out there that life aboard a sailboat is stress-free, carefree. <laughs> uh, talk a little bit about the actual anxieties and stresses that you do face. That's actually something I, I struggle with because I write to to people. Um, well, I write, and as I sail, I, I write to folks. And I tend to sort of um, slowly meet out the things I write about how challenging it is because uh, it's so challenging. <laughs> and if I shared all the time how challenging it was, I think it would, it would be really overwhelming for everyone. <laughs> it's not hammocks and sipping Mai Tais. It's dirty, and you're sore sometimes, and you're tired, and by about six days into a passage, my hands are just completely peeling on the palms. I have more little boat scars <laughs> on my body from the last couple of years than I do from like my entire life backpacking and playing sports up until then. It's really demanding, but it's such a rewarding kind of demanding. It makes me think of, there was a book on work from like the 60s where this guy went around and interviewed Studs a bunch of pe people about their jobs. Yeah, do you, yes. you know about this one? Yes, it's a wonderful book. <laughs> yeah, and um, you know, one one finding was that people who, who do things with their hands, who, who create things or fix things, were some of the most satisfied people. And that's one thing about this life is that you you work really hard, whether that's on something mechanical on your boat or studying the weather and trying to understand how it, how it works or reading the charts and trying to figure out where you should go strategically, you know, based on wind and currents and your overall trajectory or just provisioning. You know, provisioning is really hard work, too. But the nice thing about it is that you work really hard and you're tired at the end of the day, but you can see the fruits of your labor. That was so much more difficult in technology or sitting behind a desk. And so I find this life very satisfying because even though it's it's hard and you work hard, you really see the fruition of, of your plans and of, of the things that you do with your time. You've talked a little bit about the, the technology that you, the communication technology you use on board. Tell us your approach to technology and how simple or complex you prefer? Yeah, this is actually something I, I feel pretty strongly about for myself personally. And I would emphasize that what's right for everyone and everyone's boat is totally unique to the individual and the boat. For me personally, I knew that as a single-hander, because I had decided to take off and do this alone, I knew that I would need to maintain everything myself. And so I did not want complex systems at all on the boat. I didn't want anything that wasn't necessary. So I read a lot of Lynn and Larry Party's books before I bought my boat. I also read some stuff like on the other end of the spectrum. So people who, who really think you should go with a boat that's smaller than 45 feet and uh, all these certain pieces of gear and equipment. And I just sort of sussed out where I sat personally and what resonated with me. I don't think I quite knew before my first passage exactly what would be the most important to me, what I would need and what I wouldn't need. I think the first passage was very clarifying 
in terms of that. In what way? So first, just generally speaking, the man who owned my boat before me wanted to single hand it to Hawaii, and he'd only owned it for a couple of years. So he put in all new Raymarine instruments and a Raymarine autopilot and um, AIS receiver, AHF radio. But what he hadn't done was add anything that I would consider unnecessary. So no inverter, no refrigeration, no water maker. He just kept the boat as it was, pretty, pretty simple and pretty original. So the only things that I added that I think are critical to being successful in that first passage was I added a self-steering device because I wanted to have redundant autopilots. As a single-hander, I think that that's absolutely essential, unless you're really good at balancing the boat perfectly and tying the tiller off. I added a larger solar array because I wanted to be able to feel confident that my core electronics would work even if my engine died and I couldn't run my engine to charge them. And then finally, I, I purchased a DeLorme inReach, um, which is now called a, a Garmin inReach. I also had a spot tracker that somebody had gifted me. Mm. So for the passage to Hawaii, the spot tracker and the DeLorme inReach were both sending tracking points uh, to a map that my friends and family could access to see where I was. And um, another really cool thing about the inReach is you can text the map. So you leave like these little messages on the map about what's going on. And if you have a, a wiggly course, uh, you can kind of explain yourself <laughs> if you want to. I know some people have different philosophies about disconnecting completely at sea, but because I didn't have a lot of experience, I didn't feel like disconnecting completely at sea was the right choice for me. And I also didn't know how it would be to be alone for the whole crossing and having it a, a way to text with people reassured me that I would I could stay connected and talk to people if I if I really needed some cheering up yeah so those were the the main pieces of technology I added before I made the crossing to Hawaii I would say now that the solar array array has been absolutely essential and I have even more thoughts about that after doing the puddle jump this year and crossing the Pacific to New Zealand the wind vane also absolutely essential and I'm not specifying which type of wind vane I have because I feel pretty strongly that from what I've seen out here, just choose a good durable wind vane. People will argue about uh, oh, servo yeah. pendulum or auxiliary rudder. <laughs> I kind of think it's six of one, half dozen of another. That's my stance on that now. Yeah. Um, but finally, the inReach was really helpful. And my friend back home who knows about weather and sailing was texting me the forecast. And we had arranged a short coat before I left so that he could text very condensed messages to me with the weather data. And then I could plot it out on a chart to see what was happening. But when I was hoped to for six days and waiting for that hurricane to pass, it was like the surrendering of control. You can't do anything about it. Coming from being connected and having windy at my fingertips back home, it was so hard for me not to be able to see the weather data for myself. Sure, my friend could send me the three different models of hurricane tracks and give me the lat-long coordinates for the forecast for where the hurricane was going to be for the next five days with each of those models, and I could plot it all out on my chart and erase it and do it again 12 hours later, but it's a lot of work. <laughs> There's just something for me as a visual person about being able to visually see the weather data. After that, I felt like that wasn't a, an aspect of control that I, I didn't want to have anymore in my passages. And I knew that 
before I did another long distance passage that I was absolutely going to get something that would allow me to download grip files. Mm. When I left Hawaii for California, I purchased an Iridium Go. I started using grip files for the first time and it did just make like a world of difference for me. It just felt so much better. Even though I could still talk to that friend back home about weather and he still had advice and things to say, I also could just look at it for myself. And there was something about that that really helped my head stay in the game a little bit better and was reassuring for me. And I found that to be even more pronounced this last year as I crossed the Pacific. I will say that the grid program that I used when I crossed from Hawaii to California is not the one I use anymore. And that program crashed a lot. And the last three days of my passage from Hawaii to California, I could download grip files. But whenever I tried to open them with that application, they would, it would crash. Oh, so I, I didn't have visual weather data the last few days as I approached the coast. There was a front developing and there were going to be strong winds. So it was I was pretty anxious those last few days. So when I left California this year, I wanted to go with a different weather program. And I chose to go with Predict Wind. And I just can't say enough positive things about that and how, how much it's helped me make decisions about my passages. This year, crossing the Pacific, I had the Iridium Go. I had a Predict Wind subscription. I looked at weather all the time. It made a huge difference when I was deciding on when and how to do passages between island chains, especially... And the two modus where you need to not just plan around weather, but tides to go in and out of the atoll passes. So you need to make sure that the tide and the daylight and the weather all aligns perfectly. Then on the final leg from Palmerston and the Cook Islands to New Zealand, when the Iridium Go stopped working just a few days into the passage, that also meant I didn't have access to visual weather data anymore. Because of the challenges with weather as you approach New Zealand and the, the cycle of fronts that move across consistently from Australia across New Zealand, you really do need to time things right uh, between fronts or you can be in a, in a pretty dangerous situation. This passage was also mentally quite taxing since I did not have access to visual weather data um, for myself. You know, you can't control the forecast <laughs> and you can't control what the weather is going to do, but there's just something for me, so mentally reassuring about being able to just know what's coming. Because there's so much about doing this that's so unknown and so much control you have to surrender that there are just some things that just knowing <laughs> just makes you feel like you you have some semblance of control. Yeah. So I would be remiss if I didn't mention that while you're single-handing, you do have company aboard. Yes, I have. I have the best company a girl could want. And who is that? Uh, my dog, Jadzia Dax. Zia. She's currently hiding in her little bed under the, <laughs> under the salon table right by the mast. Now, what is the name? Tell, tell us the name again. Uh, her name is Jadzia Dax, but I just call her Zia. Zia, okay. What kind of dog? Zia is a mutt. She's a little spaniel mutt. She's 10 pounds, and she thinks that she's a Rottweiler. Um, <laughs> I guess the main question a, is, does she get seasick? She doesn't get seasick at all. You know, I get really seasick, and she does not get seasick. It's so unfair. But <laughs> but I will say, I feel about her like I think many people feel about their children. I would rather I feel all of the pain and her feel none of it. <laughs> uh. <laughs> So I'm happy she doesn't get seasick. 
But that begs the question, what do you do about seasickness when you're single-handed? You throw up and you move on. That's a good answer. <laughs> it depends on how severe it is. I have sometimes taken medications. Obviously, you have to be careful about what you take because some things can make you drowsy. But I find that I, I often get sick at the start of a longer passage. I've used the wristbands, and I don't know if it's a placebo effect, but those seem to help me. And I also just drink water and eat saltines. So back um, to the to the all-important companion. So was Zia in your life before you started sailing? Yeah, she was. So I she didn't have much of a choice about, about this once, once you got uh, hooked. Yeah, exactly. I got Zia before I even started taking classes to learn to sail and before I thought that this was something I could do. I mean, even when I first started taking classes, I didn't know it was possible for a person to buy a boat and sail around the world themselves. So once I knew that this was what I wanted to do and then the timeline expedited, I thought, okay, well, you know, she's going to go sailing with me. I know that there are some people who have really mixed opinions about, about animals on vessels and about whether or not you should do that. I, I think it's a really individual choice, and it's not right for every animal. But Zia wants to be together at all times. She's super, super attached to me. And she had been sailing before. We'd sailed on friends' boats, and she'd been, even been out for races before. And while it wasn't her favorite thing in the world, um, she never got sick, and she was pretty calm. So I felt like it was something that was a possibility for her. Also, she's only 10 pounds, so she's not like a big dog that needs to run all the time. So, Alana, where are you and Zia headed next? What's the future hold? In the immediate future, we're going to sail around New Zealand, hoping while we're here to, to cruise a little bit more than a lot, of, a lot of cruisers do when they come to New Zealand. So we're going to sail down the east coast of the North Island and um, cross over to the South Island. And the it's a Sounds good country there. not to rush through. There's a lot of wonderful things to see. Yeah, I'm so excited. I've, New Zealand's been on my top two places I wanted to go for a number of years now. <laughs> and after New Zealand, we're going to head back up into the island. So the plan is to head up as soon as cyclone season is over. Around the beginning of April, we'll start watching for a weather window to leave New Zealand. I'm not sure where we'll go first. We probably won't go to Tonga since you're, I don't believe you're allowed to enter Tonga with a dog. So we'll probably have to skip Tonga and go to Fiji first because we didn't make it to Fiji yet. Um, however, I will say that if we could get back to Niue, I really wanted to see Niue and we missed it because we came straight from Palmerston and the Cook Islands to New Zealand. So if the winds per permit us, when we head back up towards the islands, we may, may try to get a little bit of easting in and try to get to Niue. So we'll just see. After the, the rest of Polynesia, we're going to move into Melanesia. I'd really like to see the Solomon Islands. I have a friend from Bougainville, part of Papua New Guinea. I would like to see that island as well. Then head into um, through the through the Torres Strait and over to Indonesia. And I think that we probably will spend next cyclone season in Indonesia. I was originally planning for us to cross the Indian Ocean this year, but I think instead we'll probably stay in Indonesia, mostly because I found out that there are rallies that are affordable there that are not too restrictive and can help get you through a lot of the formalities in Indonesia where it's supposed to be kind of difficult, help you sail in just the safer waters of Indonesia. And the yeah. safety in numbers idea. You know, it's tough as a single-hander because I find that I move slower than everyone else does. 
and I I would make friends, and then, you know, they would just move along through the islands a little faster than I did. If I was going to join a rally, I needed to make sure that I was able to find one where it would be okay for me to move at a slower pace, and I would still have that, the benefits of safety in numbers, and there are rallies like that. So I'm, right. I'm pretty excited about that for this year. So the goal is a circumnavigation. Do you have a rough timetable in mind, or is it just as the wind takes you? It's a little bit of both. I don't intend to take like 10 years to circumnavigate. I think it's going to be more like four tops. And that's not because I don't want to linger longer everywhere. I do, actually. I want to see everywhere, and I want to spend lots of time everywhere. (laughs) But just realistically, it's really important to me to complete the circumnavigation. I think that it's a it's a milestone that's personally important to me. It's important to me for my own self-development, for me as a woman sailor, as a young woman sailor, and finally because I just think it will be um, such a story of inspiration to other youth who come from backgrounds like mine. So I'd like to complete my circumnavigation within the next couple of years and just keep the momentum going, keep the inspiration going too. Well, You are already an inspiration in what you've achieved so far. And I want to wish you and and Zia the best of luck uh, as you continue along. I want to thank you so much for sharing some of the story with us. Thank you. I'm I'm so honored. And it's very kind of you to say I'm I'm an inspiration. I still feel pretty ordinary. So (laughs) thanks for for having me and for all your, your great questions. That wraps up the interview with Alana. I really enjoyed talking to her, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. You can continue following Alana by heading over to peregrinasales.com. That's P-E-R-E-G-R-I-N-A sales.com. You can become a supporter of her trip and her cause and read her updates from the high seas. Also, don't miss Alana's article in the February issue of Latitude 38. Thanks again for listening. I'm Ben Shaw, host and producer of the show. Until next week, smooth sailing. Smooth sailing.